Welcome to Trigger Talk Radio with your host, Dick Kupke. From handguns to rifles and hunting to self-defense, even a bit of politics. It's time to exercise your First and Second Amendment rights. Call and join the conversation, 734-822-1600. And now, your host, Dick Kupke. Well, good morning and welcome back to Trigger Talk. Here we are. It is Saturday, January 13th, and it is a cold, blowy Saturday. And, oh, man, uh, perfect way to, to start the weekend, to, to finish the weekend. I love the snow out there. I spent, gosh, from 10 o'clock yesterday until 4 o'clock, I was working on my tractor, putting the blade and weights and chains and getting everything on it. I had to go to the store to get some things for it and stuff like that. Then I spent from four to eight out snow plowing. What a fun thing. I mean, I, I get a kick. My neighbors are like, what are you doing this for? You know, oh, I, I love it. I, it's just like mowing lawn only with white stuff instead of green stuff. So, uh, but what a week we had. We had Michigan winning the national championship. The Lions finished on a win with a playoff game tomorrow night. Derek, you must have been on pins and needles last Monday night. Yeah, I was excited at at first with the Wolverines' performance in the first quarter. Donovan Edwards had a couple of long touchdown runs, better late than ever. He's had a long struggle this year, but it was great to see him score those touchdowns. And then Michigan had a 17-3 to lead early in the second quarter, and I'm thinking, yeah, Michigan's going to blow out Washington out of the building here. And then all of a sudden, just like the game against Alabama, the offense stalled in the second and third quarters. But yeah. the Michigan defense held strong like they've been all year, and the offense finally woke up, sustained a drive, and then Mike Sainra still with that 81-yard interception return to set up the final touchdown. It was a great way to end the season for the national champion, Michigan Wolverines. I liked watching Edwards uh, when he was running with the ball. He has, like, instant acceleration. He's like an electric car, just zoom. You know what I mean? It's just amazing. Yeah, he, he definitely has great open field speed. And he, he for whatever reason, he just had so many struggles this year running the ball. But he had been effective as a receiver this year. That's where he made a huge contribution. But it was great to see him being able to have those long touchdown carries. Hopefully he will propel that into next season being, if he does come back, yeah. he would be the number one running back in the Wolverines' backfield. Well, and how about tomorrow night's game with all the hoopla with Matthew Stafford and uh, and Jared Goff? And, and I, I, I'm just really pumped for tomorrow night. How, what's your prediction there? I'm predicting a Detroit Lions win because it – Ford Field is a great environment. It's been all, all year long, and with the first home game in 30 years, the crowd is going to be psyched and pumped, and I know they're going to go up against the sentimental favorite, Matt Stafford, but now he plays for the Los Angeles Rams. He is part of the enemy. They can't have any of this feeling sorry or feeling good feelings for Matt Stafford for all he accomplished here in the Detroit area. The Lions' defense has to get after him, confuse him, try to hopefully cause some turnovers and get some easy points. Yep. And I, I think that's ultimately what's going to be the difference in the game, even though the Lions are, might be down Sam Laporta. There's a good chance he could play tomorrow, so hopefully that that's going to happen. He's listed as questionable, questionable right now, but Khalif Raymond, a big 
receiver target is out. So hopefully the Lions will be able to compensate their game plan a little bit better. Well, you know, and there's some guys that just need to step up and 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 can step up. They but they, you know, we got so, so much depth and talent on this team this year. It's it's just great. Yeah, I um I get a kick about I want to say Scrooge. The NFL is being like Scrooge. There was a I was listening to ninety seven point one, not our station, but uh, ninety seven point one yesterday, and um they were talking about there's a bar somewhere in the northern suburbs called Twin Peaks or something, and they were going to have a a giveaway where if you came in with a Lion Stafford shirt, they'd give you a a new um you know. Lions jersey that wasn't Stafford, and uh, and then overnight the NFL put a kibosh on it. Oh, they can't do that. You know, it's like, boy, is that stupid? What uh, I thought that was like a fun gimmick. You know what I mean? But oh well. Uh, let's see. Uh, around Michigan, we have got the United Sportsmen's Club Gun and Knife Show in Iron Mountain. So. Man, you're going to have to get going. Actually, it's yesterday and today, so I don't think you can get there in time. <laughs> I should screen these by geography. But let's see, uh, the Huron Gun Collector Show, Washtenaw Farm Council Grounds in Ann Arbor, uh, that's today and tomorrow. I'm going to go tomorrow on that, and, and I just like looking around. I don't buy something very often unless it's really, really cool. Uh, last year, I bought a, a left-handed youth rifle for my granddaughter, so that was kind of fun. Uh, let's see, the Cadillac Gun and Knife Show at the Wexford County Civic Center, the Port Huron Gun Show at the Blue Water Convention Center, and the Livonia, tomorrow is the Livonia Militaria Show at the Livonia Elks um, in Ohio. The Medina Gun Show, the Painesville Gun Show, uh, the Ohio Gun Collectors Association meeting in Wilmington, Ohio, and uh, the Miami Town Gun and Knife Show. And let's see what else we got. Missouri Hannibal Hannibal Mo. Uh, that's where Colonel Potter was from, I think, on uh, on Mash Hannibal Mo. Uh, Quince and Quincy Gun Show in Hannibal Mo. And let's see the uh, St. Robert Gun Show in St. Roberts and the Belleville Gun and Knife Show, which is actually in Belleville, Illinois. And for uh, gosh, Mike and Paul and Gary and all the guys out in um, out in Arizona, we've got the American Gun Shows in uh, uh, Guns American Gun Shows in Kingman at uh, Kingman, Arizona, at the Mojave County Fairgrounds, the uh, Mesa Gun and Knife Show Crossroads uh, in Mesa, uh, Arizona, the Santan Gun Show in Santan Valley. And then also the greatest gun show in Sin City, Las Vegas. So that sounds like fun. Actually, the best gun show in Las Vegas is coming up in a couple of weeks. It's uh, like 12 days away or 11 days away to the um, SHOT Show. And I was thinking about going this year, but I'm not going to go this year. Maybe I'll go next year. Uh, our our um, CPLs sit at 820446 uh, with 7,953, so round that up, 8,000 pending. That's, you know, and we're going to talk about some things with these governors this week. There's our governor, Governor Pritzker. There's uh, Governor Grisham in New Mexico. They are all doing everything they can to be anti-gun, and that's why it's really important to— um, to, the votes matter, and uh, we've got to get the gun vote out because uh, they'll do anything. And I, speaking of gun vote, I got a kick. I got my new voter registration card in the mail, 
And I read it, and it, it changed the location. Now, for 33 years, I have been voting at Tri-County Sportsman's League in Saline. No problems. Matter of fact, I liked it sometimes because you could hear somebody shooting down at the, down at the uh, gun range when, uh, when you walk in to vote, <laughs> okay? And I want to say that's the sound of freedom, okay? And I live close enough to uh, Tri-County that I can hear the shooting every day down there. And I, you know, some people go, oh, man, is that annoying? I go, that's the sound of freedom. But this year, we're not voting at Tri-County. We've moved it to the York Baptist Center. And why is that? Because Governor Whitmer's new laws say you cannot um, have any guns within 100 feet of a polling place. Okay, And since we store guns in safes, of course, but we have guns like rifles and pistols we use for training and, and um, uh, leagues and things like that, uh, no, can't do it. Sorry about that. Even though there's been 33 years with no problem, maybe longer than that, they might have been voting there for, for 50 years, okay? No problem. And I want to talk about that, too, as it comes to, uh, here. here's New Mexico's governor. Remember her? She she just decided, nope, no concealed carry in this town and that town and in the parks and stuff like that. And then, then the Supreme Court overruled her, and, you know, then she backed off her a little bit. Well, now she is pushing lawsuits against uh, gun makers, okay? New Mexico gun governor Michelle Lujan Grisham introduced a gun control package on Friday, which introduces an assault weapons ban, the ability for New Mexicans to sue gun manufacturers, and a two-week waiting period for gun purchases, among other things. Uh, Grisham push will ban guns in parks and playgrounds. It will make it illegal to carry a gun in the county or municipal parks, playgrounds, and their accompanying parking lots. This would give the force of law to ban uh, to a ban that Grisham issued via executive order back in September. Another aspect of her gun control package would prohibit guns in polling places. This makes it illegal to carry firearms within 100 feet of a polling place. Well, ours in Michigan goes beyond that. It, it prohibits guns within 100 feet of a drop box, a vote drop box, okay? So you're driving down the street, and there's a box there with absentee ballots, vote here, and you can't, can't. You, you're going to have to go on another street. Sorry, can't even drive by it, okay? And then also, um, they, like, at, um, I think I said this last week, but at, like, York Township, okay? Uh, that's where I reside, which is um, between Celine and Milan, basically. And uh, what happens is that you, the York Township office has early voting and drop-off places for, um, you know, uh, absentee ballots and stuff like that, slots where you can put put your absentee ballots in. And it says for, um, for 30 days before an election, nobody can be in a polling place with a, with a uh, firearm. Well, I want to say uh, F that, okay? And actually, we have a uh, Washtenaw County Sheriff substation in the township office. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that because uh, Whitmer will probably um, say, oh, you got to move your, your police station because, oh, well, no, those are law enforcement. That's different. No, I, I am just fed up with this kind of stuff. And, um, 
actually, I, I have a friend, you guys know, uh, John from Danville in Illinois, and he is he calls me a lot and says, have you heard anything new about the, about, you know, the because actually January 1st, the official registration deadline took place in Illinois. That's Governor Fat-Ass Pritzker. Uh, I, can, I can still say Fat-Ass, right? Derek, Derek's nodding his head yes. So uh, Fat-Ass Pritzker. And um, he, there's a rumor going around. Now, this is a very interesting rumor. And if it is true, then it belies the fact that that a registration is exactly what we always say it is. It is a uh, precursor to confiscation. <clears throat> well, listen to this, okay? Um, there, I want to say, let's see, Illinois gun control jihadists passed the so-called uh, Protect Illinois Community Act in the dead of night last January. The bill banned all manner of popular self-defense magazine-fed uh, semi-automatic guns, but it provided that existing owners could keep them if they registered them. So far, they're at, at less than 1% of a compliance rate, okay? So after, after all those months, and actually they really opened it up for registrations in October, uh, they've got less than 1%. And I want to say, um, uh, even, even friends and I know what a lot of people in Illinois are doing. They're moving their guns out of state <coughs> because even though they have a FOID card, a FOID uh, for uh, firearms owners identification card, they don't have to list individually what guns are on there. That's why they want them to come and register their ARs or their um, or their Beretta CX4 Storms or their whatever they got. Okay. Well, now a a. Facebook post from an attorney, Tom DeVore, alleges that Governor J.B. Pritzker, uh, it should be Governor F.A. Pritzker for fat-ass Pritzker, has explored the concept of using an executive order to declare a state of emergency and demand those who register those naughty guns to surrender them to law enforcement. Supposedly, this would come on the heels of a high-profile mass casualty incident. Now, this is something we've been saying for years, that that uh, all of these things went before the bodies are even cold. I know that sounds bad, but before they've mopped up the blood, before, well, as quick as they, the politicians can get to a camera and a microphone, okay, before any of that's even happened, we know they have got their gun control bills, and in this case, a gun control executive order in their back pocket, ready to whip it out. Now, this comes from a guy, <coughs> a guy named uh, Tom DeVore, and DeVore ran for an attorney general, ran for attorney general in the land of Lincoln in 2022, and he lost. However, he did score the first restraining order blocking Pritzker's precious gun and magazine ban until that was vacated this past fall. Now, this is why we need Amy Coney Barrett to step up and say this is unconstitutional. Okay, here's the Facebook post. Um, a Facebook post making the rounds is raising questions about the assault weapons ban registry and how the governor might use it. Tom DeVore, an attorney with the Silver Lake Group, posted on Facebook that Governor Pritzker could issue an executive order declaring an emergency should there be another mass, mass shooting. Okay. DeVore's post said his executive order would be that all 
owners of banned weapons that are on the registry would have to turn them over to the government. He heard uh, he told us he heard this information from colleagues who have the ability to understand what's going on in the inner circles of the legislative leaders and the governor's office. So they've got a mole in there, and the mole says this is what they're doing. Um, let's see. I was, uh, DeVore could not tell us which, which of his colleagues. Obviously, he doesn't want to rat out the mole he was referring to. I was on a phone call. This is Tom DeVore talking. Uh, that had them that I had with them a couple of days before I made the post. The conversation developed. As I've been told, it's that the governor's people have already drafted language for an executive order under the Illinois Emergency Management Act. Okay? We, we reached out to the governor's office, who told us it was unequivocally false. Yeah, I'm sure that's... Uh, that, that, that's, that's a true statement. Yeah, yeah, We'll see what happens. Now, the one thing is, now that they've called it out, if he does it, which we know that's what they want to do, okay, then it will absolutely reinforce the fact that all of these registrations are nothing more than a precursor to uh, gun confiscation. While the governor's office might have declared the post unequivocally false, it nevertheless aligns with another leak received by Guns Save Life last fall. In that leak, the governor's people had gamed out introducing legislation in the aftermath of a high-profile mass shooting. Now, by the way, there are people that say some of these things may be false flag stuff. I, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them, but I want to say... Uh, that would and that would require those who register quote naughty guns to surrender them within a very short period of time. Ninety days was mentioned at that time. Legislative allies in the governor's office would introduce the bill, <coughs> likely as a gut and replace amendment on a shell bill. Then legislative leaders would fast track the bill and get the governor to sign it in a matter of days. Those who fail to surrender their registered guns would likely face felony charges and potentially police knocks on the door as well. The executive order uh, plan also fits with F.A. Pritzker's, that, that's fat ass for F.A., okay, uh, Pritzker's love in using emergency executive orders to seize extraordinary powers. He did so with a series of emergency orders related to COVID. Gosh, we know a governor real close that did that as well. And now he's doing the same. Uh, he's doing much the same with the illegal alien influ influx into the Illinois. What's one more emergency order in the fix, especially when a few of them have the ability to block his edicts? Okay, there are very few of them. And actually, only the ones that are unconstitutional. So come on, Supreme Court. What are you, you know, just stay tuned for this, folks. I'll stay on top of it. Um, I got an email from listener Rob, and this was um, after uh, the show, I think it was two weeks ago. And he says, hello, Dick. I talked to you last night about the county well-regulated militia, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow's show. Okay. Well, that's a very interesting topic. So I started getting into the discussion about an investigation into the militia. Rob, I'm not ready to make a definitive on it yet, but there's a lot of things going on about that. Okay. Um, if you look up the militia in the United States, 
Uh, the U.S. ideal of a citizen shoulder, a soldier in the uh, militia depicted by the Concord Minuteman of 75, that, which is a monument uh, created by Daniel Chester French and erected in Concord, Massachusetts, because that was a citizen shoulder. So, shoulder. Soldier. Gosh, what's wrong with me today? The militia of the United States, as defined by the U.S. Congress, has changed over time. During colonial America, all able-bodied men of a certain age were members of the militia, depending on each colony's rule. Individuals town, individual towns formed local independent militias for their own defense. The year before uh, the U.S. Constitution, Constitution was ratified, the Federalist Papers detailed by the Founding Fathers' paramount vision of the military in 1787, the new Constitution empowered Congress to organize, arm, and discipline the national military forces, leave, leaving significant control in the hands of each state government. Again, they're saying government. Today, as defined by the Militia Act of 1903, the term militia is used to describe two classes within the United States. Organized militia, consisting of the National Guard and Naval Militia, and unorganized militia, comprising the reserve militia, every able-bodied man of at least 17 and under 45 years of age who are not members of the National Guard and militia. So you may theoretically be a member of a state militia if you're between 17 and 45 and you're able-bodied. Okay, I, I suppose that would depend on your pronouns. Okay, Is that he, she, zher, zim, za? I, I prefer to say, go to hell, okay? But that, that's just my, my take on it. Uh, since, I, matter of fact, I won't even talk to them, okay? If somebody says, well, my pronouns are, and it's different than what they look like, okay, I would just say, how about, hey, you? Or how about I don't even talk to you? Okay, since 1993, Congress has organized the National Guard under its power to raise and support armies, and not its power to provide for organizing among the dis and disciplining the militia. Congress chose to do this in the interest of organizing reserve militia units, that's like National Guards and stuff, which were not limited to deployment by the strictures of the power even the constitutional militia has, which can be called forth only to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. What qualifies as a militia? A militia is generally an army or some other fighting organization of non-professional and or part-time soldiers, citizens of a country, or subjects of a state. We're, we're just about ready to become subjects of a state, okay, but uh, who may prefer, perform military service during a time of need as opposed to a professional force of regular full-time military personnel. Now, in the... the um, MilitaryTimes.com, which is a decent source, um, if you look up, can I have my own militia? And this is interesting. All 50 states have laws that prohibit private militia activity. In 29 states, laws prohibit private militia groups from organizing and without authorization from the state government. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Gretchen Whitmer would authorize that. Let's see. These statutes often specifically prohibit the parading or drilling in public and firearms or with firearms. 
Now, I'm, why am I mentioning this? Well, Rob asked about it, and I think that, that around the country where the, these governors are reaching out with these laws that are uh, so restrictive, there's been people talking about militias. And be careful, they, they may be likely to get them, okay? Because uh, if they keep going, like F.A. Pritzker and like um, G- Governor Whitmer and Governor um, Grisham in, in New Mexico— you're going to have a lot. Of, there are millions of us, hundreds of millions of us that are gun owners and that have, or have many guns, and uh, we're not happy about it. So it's interesting. When we get back, I will talk about anti-militia bill likely to hurt firearm training that is actually in Congress right now. Guess guess who? By guys with a D after their name. This is Dick Kupke at Trigger Talk Radio here at Wham Talk 1692.7 FM. I'll be back in just a couple minutes. Wham Talk 1600. Welcome back to Trigger Talk Radio with your host, Dick Kupke. Call now, 734-822-1600 to join in the conversation. Well, welcome back. And uh, I am not advocating um, for militias, but uh, sometimes things happen, okay? And very interestingly enough, there's an anti-militia bill that is likely to hurt firearms training. See, it's not just about a militia. They don't like guns. They don't like us. They don't like semi-automatic rifles, okay? I, I mean... Honestly, they when you read these things, it's like, um, gosh, who do they think that they're? First of all, who do they think they are, and who do they think we are? Okay, I was looking at a story where the out in New Mexico, where that uh, that sheriff or one of the sheriffs uh, was responding to the governor, and he goes, you know, instead of you having all these unnecessary bans on lawful law-abiding gun owners, I think we should uh, up the, uh, the punishment for youthful, juvenile gun offenders. Oh, geez, that would, oh, no, that would be racist. You can't do that. <clears throat> so let's see. With the anniversary of January 6th behind us, we'd think all the uh, insurrection rhetoric would be behind us at least for a time. Unfortunately, that's asking way too much. You'd think that at some point the people screaming about it would recognize that if the political demographic most likely to be armed and pay out for training of their own pockets were interested in overthrowing the government, they'd bring more than signs to a party, okay? But alas, that isn't entertaining, I'm sorry, but alas, that isn't entering most people's brains. Yet I can't help but think at least some understand it on that level. You know, that's the old saying, with um, 300 million guns and uh, a trillion rounds of ammunition, if law-abiding gun owners were the problem, you'd know about it. But we're not. Okay? Uh, There's a new bill in the House. Washington, January 11th, following the anniversary of January 6th, which, by the way, Joe Biden is using as a resurrection. Uh, Yeah, they were trying to stop me. You know, but... BS is that. I'm sorry, I was speaking too clear. I should have should have had a mouthful of oatmeal to uh, sound like Joe. Uh, following the anniversary of the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol, 
Senator Edward J. Markey, Democrat of Massachusetts, imagine that, and Congressman Jamie Raskin, he's the one who always is wearing a, a, a handkerchief on his head, or he was for a while, I don't know why, I don't know who he was trying to align with, but that's what he was doing. He's a, a Maryland Democrat, introduced the Preventing Private Paramilitary Activity Act, legislation that would create a federal prohibition on paramilitary groups through civil and criminal enforcement. This prohibition would hold individuals liable who directly engage in certain types of conduct, including, of course, intimidating state and local officials. Well, you can't, you shouldn't do that. Interfering with government proceedings and pretending to be law enforcement. I don't think the law-abiding people do that. And violating people's constitutional rights while armed and acting as a private paramilitary organization. Patrolling neighborhoods, independent law enforcement, and storming the U.S. Capitol. Oh, okay, storming the Capitol. Well, you know, like I just said, if they, if, if they had wanted to take over anything, they would have been armed, okay? And more than with pitchforks and torches, like, like in the, the old uh, Frankenstein movie, okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, our, legislature, our legislation makes the obvious but essential clarification that these domestic extremist paramilitary operations are in no way protected by our Constitution. The problem is, is that it goes on further to be talking. You know, I want to say, you go out and do training, okay? You go out and do training at, at Gunsight or Thunder Ranch or uh, ATI, I think it is, down in Ohio, or even if your local gun club has some training with semi-automatic rifles, that could fall into the category of paramilitary activity. Why? Well, because they want to call it that. So, uh, to, let's see. I want to say, um, when you are doing, and here's a good example, IDPA, International Defensive Pistol Association. They have meets and events all over the country. Every weekend, they're somewhere. And, and I want to say, in Michigan, we got a bunch of them. And they are, I mean, in our area, um, Howell, Dexter, Chelsea, Celine, Fenton, all sorts of places out there have IDPA. And you know what they're doing? They're running drills and, and things like that. And and it's a you see them on TV sometimes. You know when people, they're hiding behind blue barrels and they're stepping out and a target pops up and they shoot? That could theoretically fall into this category. Okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, what else would be? Let's see. Now, based on this alone, all sorts of things will fall under regulation, theoretically be prohibited. Arguably, even your kid's taekwondo class could be illegal, since that would be training in techniques capable of causing bodily injury. So, target shooting? That could cause bodily energy. Oh, well, we can't have that. IDPA can't have that. IPSC, um... Any other self, uh, concealed weapons classes? Oh, we can't have that. So see where this is going, okay? And I got to say, where it, and when all this stuff is happening, now this may get shot down, okay? <laughs> not, not literally, but figuratively. Okay, no pun intended, shot down. 
But these guys are constantly putting this stuff in, and we have to do something about it. Uh, now, here's something interesting. San Antonio area law enforcement officers urge proper gun storage after a rise in theft. Listen to this. Stolen guns are bad news, and no one would look, look at them lightly. Every firearm stolen is one that's likely to create problems. Why? Because they're criminals, after all, who have steal them, stealing them. So stolen firearms represent a real problem, and in San Antonio, lo, law enforcement is stressing proper storage <coughs> due to 3,100 firearms being stolen in 2023. Uh, let's see. Law enforcement leaders... And federal authorities are asking gun owners to secure their firearms due to the prevalence of gun thefts, especially from vehicles. Well, you know, there's we've talked about uh, gun safes, and and some people, you know, I want to say when they ha they have gun-free zones and things like that, people go down to uh, if if you're a concealed carry person, you may go down to the Lions game tomorrow night, and you may decide to just oh I got to take my gun out and I'll put it in the glove box. And you make a, somebody sees you doing that, well, your car is a target. If you've got it in a locked box that is bolted inside the console to your floor of the car, then it's probably going to be safe. Okay, so you've got to do that. In Texas' largest metropolitan areas, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston, more than 25,000 guns were stolen over the last three years. Okay, so here in Michigan or in Texas or whatever, um, you need to secure your firearm. I rarely have—I want to say I always have a firearm, except when I go into a gun-free zone. Then only us people that obey the law have don't have firearms. The the criminals can have them. Okay, that's that's fine. And if they get caught, they'll be out in an hour anyway. But you or I, we'd be in jail. Okay, so what do people do? They go to the show, they take their gun out, and they put it in their car. And what happens? It's like I had a uh, instance one time, I forget, my daughter and um, several of her friends, I think they were in high school, maybe college at the time, but they, they um, went to a game. I think it might have been a Tigers game or something. But they, what happened is they, they, their purses were too big. You can't have that in there. You could have weapons in there. Okay, so what did they do? They got out of, they walked back, they took their purses off, and they put them in the car. What happened when they got back from the game? Oh, the car had been broken into and all their purses were gone. Along with their driver's license and their car keys and the house keys, things that would show somebody who was stealing stuff where you live, okay, and give you a key to the house. So we had to have the whole house rekeyed and stuff. But I, I want to say the the gun-free zone thing is is essentially, and some people call them killing zones. They won't call them killing zones. And that, that's true because that's where, you know, every one of these, um, these shootings out there that people uh, uh, perpetrate, they usually go for places that don't have any security. That's called gun-free zones, okay? Oh, gosh, I've about had it with this. Let's see. Does an FFL have to log in a firearm if it's just there for being cleaned? You should. This is something that even regular people can run up against. Um, 
everybody I know that, well, I want to say that's not true. I know a ton of people that have guns, obviously. Most of my friends have guns, okay? And But I might be in the minority. I enjoy cleaning guns, okay? I really like taking my guns apart and cleaning them. I like the smell of Hoppy's number nine. Uh, and I like, as somebody told me one time, we were at a, a gun cleaning class, and I was, uh, I was, or it was a CPL class. We were showing guns and cleaning them. And, 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 uh, Somebody walked in and they could smell the hoppies number nine, and they said, "Oh, this smells like my grandpa's house." Okay, because it's a unique smell. Okay, so I like that. But there are people I do know, gun people, who consider it a un unpleasant chore, and I don't know why, because you get to handle your firearms. But, but at any rate, uh, some people take them to gunsmiths to have them cleaned, and a lot of I've heard of people doing that. I I can't imagine it, but. But, you know, they go to the gun store and they say, uh, is your gunsmith here? Can he clean my gun for me today? Okay, yeah. Uh, what, today? Yeah, good. Uh, I'll be back at 4 o'clock to pick it up. That's great. And there's a question. Does an FFL have to log in a firearm if it's just there to be cleaned? And the, the and you already know this if you're an FFL probably, but the fact is is that if you're just going for the day, then no. They do not have to log it into their, their bound books and stuff. But if they are going to have it overnight or longer, you know, like maybe if you're planning on dropping it off Saturday and picking it up next Saturday, they actually have to log that gun in as being in their control. Okay, and then when you pick it back up again, if, if you're the person that dropped it off, you don't have to um, fill out a 4473 again because it's your gun. Okay, it's no required if you're the owner. But if another person, let's say you're going and you say, oh, honey, can you stop by the gun shop and pick up my gun? They just cleaned it. Then she has to fill out a 4473 and, and uh, go through a background check to pick it up. So A, learn to clean your own guns. <laughs> and B, um, uh, don't ask anybody else to pick it up if you are one of the people that drop them off. Um, I, now, this is one thing I was going to talk about today. I've told you over the years, I have a thing called Rugeritis, okay, which is when Ruger comes out with new guns, I have to get them, okay? It's like in, ingrained in me. And that, that was true, gosh, for 20 years, 30 years. Now I've slowed down because they're introducing so many, I can't possibly get them all. But they are introducing some neat ones this year. Believe it or not, um, this is the 75th anniversary for Ruger. 75 years ago, they introduced the Mark, or well, just the standard, they called it back then, 22 automatic pistol, semi-automatic pistol. And that design is still made today with improvements, but they are getting ready a whole bunch of 75th anniversary models. Okay, and I want to say some of them are all of them will have a um, a 75th anniversary roll stamp on them, so that's pretty cool. But they also came out with some special ones, like they've got a 75th anniversary um, uh, 1022, and it is going to be um, available. They've got ones that are stainless and ones that are um, that are like walnut stained. Um, uh, hardwood. They don't use walnut on the lower 
end ones, but it's a hardwood that's stained with a walnut stain. But they actually have kind of a neat one. It's got it's a stainless barrel and receiver and stuff, but it has a blonde or natural finished hardwood stock. And they got a picture of it on the web. I saw it. Uh, take a look at the Ruger website if you and look at the 75th anniversary 1022. It is gorgeous. And I've got I've had some guns that have blonde stocks, and I like them. And this this would be a neat one to have if you're looking. If you do not have a 1022, what the heck is wrong with you? Okay, because that's like the universal 22 rifle. Okay, semi-automatic rifle. But a blonde one for the 75th anniversary, that looks pretty neat. They've also come out with some uh, an LCP Max with a uh, that falls in. They call it a modern classic. I wouldn't call it a classic, but it is a pretty neat gun. It's a a, a high capacity LCP in 380, and they're they're all they're wearing a 75th anniversary roll stamp too. Okay. So anyway, that uh, I want to say that is if you were looking for a reason, not that you need one, but if you're looking for a reason to go out and get a new 22 or a new 380 or or anything. Actually, I just read another article, but I didn't copy it down. They have come out with a really neat anniversary version of the Mini 14, stainless with a side folding stock. I mean, it's cool. Okay. And actually, some. Uh, there for a while, many 14s were not on the uh, naughty list when it comes to uh, to guns like uh, that F.A. Pritzker uh, has on his list. But I think he's got them on it now because they've got detachable mags, okay? Oh, that's so bad, a detachable mag. Let's see. Um, and a lot of things happened this week that are kind of interesting. How many of you took note? If you're an NRA member, you noted and with probably some amount of cheer. I got emails from folks last week that said, hallelujah, hallelujah, that Wayne LaPierre has stepped down. And and I want to say uh, it goes well beyond just the 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 reason they were going after him that Letitia James in New York actually wants to get the whole NRA shut down which is going to be tough to do because there's like 5 million of us okay but um we they're saying members instructors and students need real NRA reform and i want to say that the, the issue is for years for 100 years the NRA 150 years the NRA was a uh, a advocacy group for firearms and hunting and and training and safety especially safety okay and it was interesting because it came about because during the the original purpose of the National Rifle Association during the Civil War it was calculated this is an interesting thing this is the first time I ever saw it that for every hit on a Confederate soldier over 1,000 rounds were fired by uh, by Union troops. They were that bad of shots, okay? Well, not to mention, they, they didn't have the world's most accurate rifles, at, especially at distance. Uh, and then they started getting more. They got the what they called the mini ball, which is not a mini ball. It is actually a, a uh, spherical pointed bullet that are uh, kind of a... Uh, like a, a modern bullet where it's got a, a body that's um, straight and then it had a point to it, whereas before people were just shooting round balls, okay? And especially many of those were shot in uh, musket, 
type of guns that didn't even have rifling in the barrel. <clears throat> so in 1871, okay, during earlier wars, soldiers at least had an excuse. But more accurate mini balls in the far better rifles meant that soldiers were capable of doing better, but they needed more training. In 1871, the National Rifle Association was formed to solve that problem. Not only did the organization work to establish marksmanship clubs across the United States, but it has also worked with military units and promoted international competition to keep the improvements going globally. In the following decades, the whole shooting world, civilian and military, became safer and more accurate. The NRA initially backed U.S. gun control measures passed in 1934 and 1968. Well, that would be a mistake they made because <coughs> the Gun Control Act of 1968 caused a lot of problems. That was as a result of both, both Kennedy's assassinations. But also the 1934 Act is where they did a lot of things that came up with NFA, things on suppressors, short-barreled rifles, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, eventually, let's see, but as the 20th century wore on, gun control laws after gun control law eventually got to the point where gun owners were fed up with it all, all of the restrictions. So members pushed the organization to make an effort to fight back against these restrictive laws, working to repeal and cut them back in the 1970s. But starting in the 1990s, the organization lost its way on uh, both educational and legislative fronts. Okay. Today, the NRA is a joke in the gun rights community. Organizations like Gun Owners of America, Second Amendment Foundation, Citizens Defense League, and now the Firearms Policy Coalition have picked up the baton the NRA has dropped. Now, when those other groups score a legislative victory, it's not long after before an email from the NRA hits our inbox telling us about how they won. Well, the NRA is taking credit for things they didn't do. They still have the NRA ILA, uh, group that works on legislation. However, um, their funding is way, way down. Be why? Because the NRA was paying like 60, 70, 80 percent of its dues money and money it earns in legal fees to protect Wayne LaPierre. Yeah, I know. That's why I was so much against Wayne LaPierre. Now he's gone. Now we need some we need some uh, reform, okay? What the reform? What reform must they do, okay? Well, uh, what? Let me go here. The most important thing about the court's monitor or special master can do is to bring into compliance with applicable laws and the end of the organization involvement in politics. You know, you even hear all these politicians. Oh, the NRA. The it just drips out of their mouth. They're so disgusted by saying those three letters together, N-R-A, okay? Well, it didn't used to be like that. I haven't had a, a, a sticker on my truck for years, okay? Why? Because of Wayne LaPierre, okay? Not that I'm not proud to be an NRA member, an NRA lifetime member, but I, I want to say I couldn't back what they were doing. So what do we got to do now? We need to create innovative and cutting-edge curriculum and software for youth, adults, law enforcement, and military, including virtual reality, laser training, and remote learning. Build serious training facilities that cater to the training needs of all kinds of gun owners. 
provides real continuing education for instructors and coaches, not just collecting a payment every two years, which, by the way, mine is due. I've got to go renew mine. Uh, reach out to all gun owners regardless of background. Well, we don't. Uh, I want to say I don't care what somebody's background if they're not criminals, okay? I don't care where you're from, what color you are. I don't care who you choose to live with, what orifice, what appendage you want to put in whatever orifice. I don't care, okay? Just be safe. Use, uh, let's see, use industry standards and concepts in fire training. Oh, my gosh, we're out of time already. I can't believe it. Well, um, we only have an hour right now, so I'll continue this discussion next week. And I'll continue to go through more on militias and keep you updated on that in Illinois and other states because you know, and Gretchen Whitmer wants to run for president. That's very clear. So she is going to have, want to have as many uh, arrows in her quiver of how she fought the evil gun industry and stuff like that. So just look out, Michigan, and and come on. Uh, even if you are a, a real Democrat, not a modern Democrat, but a real Democrat who likes to hunt and likes to fish and likes con- conservation, you need to back us. This is Dick Kupke of Trigger Talk Radio here at Wham Talk 1600 and 92.7 FM. I'll see you next week.